How are we all? Good. Are you feeling blessed? Good, 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 good. Let me ask you a question. Big question. We're starting a new <clears throat> series this morning, something we're going to be speaking up over the next uh, four weeks. Let me just ask you a question because this will frame whether you uh, need to even bother turning up over the next four weeks. How many of you want God to bless you? Hands up if you want God to bless you. If you don't, that's cool, but the next four weeks are going to be a waste of time for you because we're going to be talking about God's blessing and God's intent to bless and how God blesses us in our lives. And we're starting with that this morning. What's important, though, is to get some sort of framework of what, you know, when, we, when we say, I want God to bless me, what, is it, what does it actually mean? What, is, what does that look like? What, what would God's blessing look like? Because if, you, if, you, if you're pursuing something, you, you, you need to know what it looks like. You need to know what the goal is, what the prize looks like, or else you're not going to know it when you see it. And uh, I wonder if for some of us, we might define blessing as, as having everything we need. You know, would that, would that be maybe a, a, a reasonable, albeit simple definition? Being blessed means having everything you need. Or, or maybe putting it a slightly different way, being completely self-sufficient. I'm blessed if I can be completely self-sufficient. And uh, it sounds okay. This idea maybe of being self-sufficient, it, it, it sounds okay. It, it sounds appealing. Um, or does it? As we drill down into this idea, if, if we think being blessed is to, is to have everything we need and to be self-sufficient, um, is that really a good thing? You know, in our house, Louie, her theme song to me is, you're not the boss of me. And she walks around our house singing in my grill, Mark, you're not the boss of me. And uh, she thinks being blessed is getting me off her case, you know, um, and her being completely self-sufficient. Maybe if you think of yourself financially blessed, Pete was just talking a little bit about God's intent to bless us financially as we sow, we can reap financially. You know, maybe you think being financially blessed is having everything you need, all the money you need to do what you want, when you want it and how you want it. And, you know, is that a good thing? Maybe it's in the area of, of uh, relationships, you'd like, you, you think relationally blessed means to be completely self-sufficient, not having to rely on anybody else, not being open and vulnerable to the possibility of anybody letting us down or disappointing us. That sounds pretty good, having this kind of stress-free, uncomplicated, simple, clean, relational life, maybe relationally blessed, you know, being self-sufficient is a good thing. Let me, let me ask you, just to kind of Keep walking this ball down the field. Has anyone ever had anybody let them down? See, you know, whoever said two sure things in life, a, de a death and taxes, has kind of missed a few things. I think disappointment, people disappointing us, is going to be pretty inevitable in our life. And, uh, you know, business partners might betray your trust. Spouses might cheat on you or mistreat you. Friends might turn on you. And we can maybe overcorrect. If that's been our history, if that's been our experience, we can maybe overcorrect and try, to, and try to minimize or even eliminate our exposure to disappointments and to people letting us down and, and become relationally self-sufficient and, and keep everyone at arm's length, keep everything neat and clear and simple, worry-free, problem-free, stress-free, disappointment-free, and if we achieve that, we've got relational to nirvana. We're blessed relationally. 
There's another side of that coin, though. When you look back on those times when you've been disappointed, and you can put names and faces and, and, and locations and situations, and you can frame that and you can identify it, and you, know, you can put dates on things. It was this person, you know, like uh, Cluedo, you know, it was Mr. Brown in the kitchen with the rope. You can remember all of the clues, you know, exactly what happened and how it happened. And, and, and we have those memories. And we have some of the scars to prove it. But think about it. I wonder if this is true for you as well. If in those times when people have let you down, you've also found the greatest thing that happened to you in that time was somebody or somebody's got around you and actually helped walk you through and out of that valley. And you would credit the strength of the relationships you had with the people that helped walk you out of that valley as being some of the greatest moments, some of the high points of your life. See, if you shut people out relationally because you don't want to ever get disappointed, which you still will, okay? We aren't the boy in the bubble here. We do life. We go to jobs that have people around. We're part of churches that are made up of people. People will let us down. We can't, we can't retreat to be the boy in the bubble. But, but if we try to withdraw, then when those disappointments happen, when people let us down, when people betray us, we're also going to miss the opportunities for people to be some of the greatest treasures that will ever come across our path, some of the greatest blessings that'll ever come across our path. I remember for us, you know, probably I think the biggest valley we ever went through was a few years ago. Some of you know a little bit of our story when we were in Adelaide leading a church there. And after 12 months, I got fired from that church and we got, you know, blown out of the water uh, in that situation. And in in every way, you know, uh, dreams were shattered, hopes were lost. uh, Financially, we got slaughtered. Um, We'd actually moved from all of our you know, family and relational networks here in Perth and, and, and replanted. And you guys, some of you have replanted into other states and other countries. And you know, it takes a while to start getting your roots deep relationally. And, and some of those people that we were in relationships with in this church that we were leading were the ones that fired us. And it's like, oh my Lord, you know. But then incredible thing happened. You know, we drove across the border. We went through a town on the... South Australian Victorian border called Border Town. Not a, not a whole lot of imagination went into that one, but anyway. And uh, it's, a, it's a drive-through town, actually. <laughs> but, um, and uh, friends of ours in Melbourne had said to us, well, look, you know, well, well, here's, the, here's the thing. I got fired on the Friday, and I let the dust settle on that Friday afternoon. The first thing I wanted to do on the Saturday morning is I wanted to phone a friend. You, you know that? You, you had that happen? You wanted to find, you, you had a little bit of a sulk. You, you've, you've, you've had a little cry. You've, you've, you've thrown a little pity party and invited yourself. And, uh, but, but then, you know, interesting thing happens. When you, when you make the decision that you want to actually emerge from, you know, close the pity party down and get back to real life, uh, you want to phone a friend. I wanted to phone a friend. I phoned a friend. I phoned a friend of mine in Melbourne, one of my uh, personal board of, uh, of reference that I have for my life. I phoned him and I said, listen, never going to guess what happened to me yesterday. You know, he's like, oh, what? you shot a good round of golf. Or, and, well, actually, no, a little bit uh, more serious than that. I got fired from the church I'm leading. Hmm, okay, didn't see that. I see, he says, well, what are you going to do now? I said, well, we're planning on, on driving to you, your house. And he's like, all right. You know, 
we're in Adelaide, he's in Melbourne. So we'll, we'll, we'll sell the house and we'll get driving. And he said, cool, you can come and stay with us for a couple of weeks. And we stayed with him for six months. We were like the guests that kept on giving. <laughs> but you know, when I think back to that, that uh, valley time of getting fired and getting displaced and, 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 and having trust broken and so on and so forth, yeah, it's painful. And we've still got some scars from that. And you guys can relate to, to whatever situations you guys have had happen to you. But, you know, the, that six months we spent uh, house crashing with our friends in Melbourne, it, it was the greatest six months of our life. It, they, they just loved us. And uh, they gave us plenty of, of room to, uh, to, to mourn and, uh, and to process things, to help you know, get some of our emotional residue kind of away. And I actually don't know if I would have traded that experience of getting fired for anything because of what it allowed us to do with this opportunity with our friends. I was watching the grand final yesterday, and uh, we won't talk too much about that this morning, but um, I just was intrigued to see Ross Lyon, coach of, of Frio Dockers, um, interviewed pregame. He was sort of walking off the field back up to the coach's box. And uh, they're talking, you know, what's the game plan, Ross, and so on and so forth, all the standard questions. Um, and, uh, and he said this, I wrote it down at the time. He said, I, I've told the team, make yourself vulnerable to the possibility of a loss. Make yourself vulnerable. He's telling the team, it's before the grand final, right, where actually the objective is to win. He said, make yourself vulnerable to the possibility of a loss. It's a little bit of a head turner if you kind of take it at face value, but let me drill down. Let me unpack that for you. If you try to protect yourself from ever having a relational loss, you will also never get to experience a relational win because you actually have to shut yourself off to all relationships to prevent there ever being a relational loss. But in the very act of shutting yourself off to all relationships, we also shut ourselves off to the possibilities of relational wins. See, I love that, 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 that friends, true friends, are there to walk us through and out of the valleys. And you know what? Great friends are the ones that we love to amplify the mountaintops. You know, when you first have a baby or when you get the promotion or when you move in to, to your new house, you, you don't sit there with the champagne bottle by yourself and pop that and just, you, you want to phone somebody. You want to invite somebody. You want people to come to the hospital and, and, and look at Junior. You want, to, you want people to come to your new house and, and celebrate this. You want people, when you've got the promotion, you phone, hey, guess what? You put it on Facebook. You want the world to know. Friends, relationships actually amplify the mountaintops. Standing on the mountaintop on our own is nowhere near as much fun as fulfilling as satisfying as standing on the mountaintop with great friends around us, right? So if we want to have the friends with us on the mountaintops, we've got to do what Ross Lyon says. We've got to make ourselves vulnerable to the possibility of a loss. 
You know, even in individual sports, this is true. When somebody, you think individual sport, maybe tennis. Think of tennis. It's an individual sport. You know, Novak Djokovic is out there. It's just Novak. No, it's not. It really isn't. The first thing Novak Djokovic does when he hits the winning shot and wins that Grand Slam tournament, he goes sprinting and leaps into the box with the people that have helped getting there. The coach, the wife, the, the training partners. Do you understand? And that's the, that's, the, that's the first thing he wants to do. And he wants to celebrate with them. Relationships are critical. And, and I want to remind us this morning, one of the greatest blessings that God gives us, that God presents us with, is God blesses us with community. It's actually how he designed us from the beginning. God designed us to be in community with him and to have a need for him and to be in community with one another and to actually have a need for community with one another. And that word need is very important to understand just how strong and how innate and how critical this concept is. God has blessed us with community. Christian author and, uh, and counselor Gary Smalley, I really like his, uh, what he says. He says, life is relationships. The rest is just details. Life is relationships. The rest is just details. At the very essence of life is relationships. A relationship with God and a relationship with one another. And you know what? It's interesting uh, to watch culture and watch cultural shifts taking place. We're actually in the midst of a battle against deep-spirited, intimate relationships. In my grandfather's day, life was lived out on the porch. And conversations were had all the time with passers-by. With every, you knew your neighbors. Your kids were in and out of their homes. Your kids played with their kids. You know, now, when a new home's built, it's typically built with a, a double garage door. I'm not picking on you, uh, Baden and Jill, but I'm about to describe your house. It's... Uh, <laughs> It's built with a, a double garage door with a remote control clicker. Two singles. Two singles. All right. Okay. I'm def- okay. Then I'm talking about someone else's house. And, uh, and, uh, and it's got a gate and it's got a fence in it. And, and, and I understand all of that security and so on. And so I get that. But, 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 but what we've actually forfeited in the process of just little things like house design is we've actually removed ourselves one degree from this ongoing, continual, organic interaction with other people. And we forfeited so much more in, as a consequence of that. Phones. Some of you under, under 25, if you go and visit the museum, you'll see this thing called a telephone hand with a handset. And it's got this, uh, this round thing on it with numbers, numbered one to zero. Like, you know, it's, and, it, and it spins, and then you let, take your finger out, and it goes... It's called a telephone. Okay, can everyone say that? Telephone, see? So in the museum, there's these things called telephones. And um, what used to happen is uh, people used to phone each other and you didn't know who was calling you. There was no digital displays. You actually had to pick up the phone and say, hello, this is Mark, who's phoning? Now, 
you can see who's phoning and decide whether you want to actually answer that call. God bless the inventor of that feature. Even how we allocate our time. You know, I was curious to know as, as Australians whether there was any data available on how much television Aussies watched. Because my first question when people say to me, I haven't got time for something, I ask them, how much TV do you watch? And miraculously, we find some time. And uh, in 2011, 2012, the Australian Bureau of Statistics took a, se- a survey and uh, asking the question of households how much average television time they watch. And the average was four hours a day. And uh, it varies, obviously, you know, some a bit less. I actually know someone that watches 10 hours a day. They work part-time, they watch 10 hours of TV a day. And so they so work part-time and watch TV full-time, if you want to think about it like that. And uh, voluntary role. And um, it's like, the, it's, it's a month a year. The, the ABS data that worked out that the average household watches a month of television a year. There's only 12 months in a year, by the way. Watch a month a year. Now, if you add to that computers and tablets and smartphones. And interesting, when I was looking at this data this week, the, the, the knock-on of the, of the analysis was the impact on our physical health. You know, we're no longer out moving and gardening and, and playing. The impact on our physical health... I wonder what the impact is on our relational health of shuttering ourselves off and being in this current society, what I call together alone. And the thing I want us to understand as Elevate Church is, is, is as a church, we can fall victim to this. We can so easily line up in rows for an hour on a Sunday and then Nick off and just go about the rest of our lives and actually be a church that's together alone. And it's not God's design for his church at all for one moment. In fact, the writers of the new part of the Bible used several metaphors to describe the church. Uh, some of those metaphors include that the church is a family. And so there's no coincidence that, that, that the writers use the metaphor to describe the church as a family because they want us to understand, among other things, that we're not to do this, be a church that's together alone. Families that are together alone. You know, the, 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 the worst thing, the only thing that is worse than being single and alone is being married and alone. And that's not God's design for family. And when he uses the analogy of family he's, to describe the church, he's saying that's not my design for the church. You guys are not meant to be together alone. You're meant to be like the best families are when they've built and continue to cultivate deep, spirited relationships. The body is another metaphor. The body, the, he describes the church as a body. And think about this. You know, when the arm isn't working together and doing life together with another body part, something's wrong. And we actually say it's diseased. Something's out of harmony. There's a dis-ease. And actually, everything goes to work to try and bring that back 
into a sense of harmony and working together. Our body parts aren't meant to be together alone. They're meant to be working together, which is why this analogy of a body is so important. Another analogy is the analogy of an army. That the church is an army. And there's so many facets and aspects of why that's important for us to understand that we're an army but one of it is that we're not meant to go into battle together alone we're meant to go into battle building deep spirited high levels of trust understanding cultivating things that will see us win together god's design for his church isn't for us to be together alone I subscribe to a number of blogs, leadership blogs, and so on and so forth. And one of them lobbed in my inbox this week. And it was called Four Reasons You Might Feel Disconnected from Your Church. And this was simply the four reasons that the author put up. Four reasons why you might feel disconnected from your church. Number one, are you serving in an area regularly? Now, we have Elevate teams. So my question, picking up from this blogger's perspectives, are you a part of an Elevate team? If you're not, you might... Find that that's one reason you might feel disconnected from your church. Number two, are you part of a small group? We call them elevate groups. Pete's already been talking about them this morning. If you're not part of an elevate group, that would actually play to you feeling disconnected from your church. Number three, are you spending time with some of your church family outside of the Sunday worship service? And I love this. I love that seeing, uh, especially some of the the, the crew that are that are. Um, uh, using a lot of social media, I'm loving seeing things happen where people are checking in, going out for lunches, dinners, coffees, dropping in. I'm hearing stories of people swinging past someone else's house on the way home just to see, just to say hi. And, and these organic relationships being cultivated here at Elevate Church. Brilliant. Number four, are you attending church more than twice a month? Do you know that the statistics of Western church is that the average person attends only twice a month? A month. I'm talking about what happens on a Sunday. We don't call it church, but just blame the writer of this blog. Um, twice a month. It's it's uh, and and, it, and 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 the answer isn't to to you know pound the table for me to stand up here and pound the table and say you stupid, lazy, uncommitted, half-hearted, half-baked, lukewarm. You, if you really love Jesus, you'd be here every you, it, like. That wouldn't work, right? No. no. Well, see, I know that as well. I've been doing this for a while. <laughs> Guilt and aggression and force, it doesn't work. It doesn't work with you as parents for your kids over any long period of time. There's got to be some understanding of, of the why. There's got to be some understanding of why this is important. Well, think about it with your kids. Think about what it would look like for your kids if you only took them to school two weeks out of every five. Think of what that might look like for their development. I mean, look, hey, by the way, they're your kids. You can do with them what you want. Try it. Try it for 90 days. See how that goes. Just take your kids to school for two weeks out of every five. Try it for 90 days. See how it goes. They'll love it for a period of time. They'll love it. I'm, I'm, most of them, they'll, they'll love it. Stay in bed till whatever time you want. Wear your onesie all day. doesn't matter. Just do, borrow Baden's Snuggie. Do whatever you want all day, every day, for 90 days. But for two weeks, go to school because, you know, it's better than nothing. Uh, if they didn't have any social interaction outside of the classroom, if when they, every time they get invited to one of their mates' parties, you say, well, you can't go to that. You might actually interact with people. 
If they didn't get involved in any extracurricular activities, sporting groups, social groups, clubs, whatever. You know this, I'm, I'm saying something pretty rhetorically. It would actually impede their development. It would impede their, their uh, intellectual development, of course. But you know, one of the biggest things it'll impede, it will impede their relational development. Well, the same thing happens if we fall victim and play in the shallow end of the pool when it comes to being part of a church i want you to notice something though about this um about this blog post and it's one of the things that resonated with me quite strongly see i actually haven't had it happen here yet it may do in due course um but i I certainly can remember from our, our previous church experience occasionally someone might say look i'm leaving the church because i didn't feel connected or i don't feel connected and, 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 and they would say it with a sense of projecting onto you as the leaders. You know, I'm, I don't feel connected, so I'm leaving. And there's this kind of inference that you didn't connect me. You didn't get me connected. You did. And, and, I, and I have always asked, and I will hear, I will always ask the very same questions. Were you part of a small group? Were you part of a team? Were you here on a weekend? I don't know. What's reasonable? 45 Sundays a year? Did you get out and about and and, and engage with people organically and relationally? Because if you didn't do all four of those things, then absolutely I understand why you feel disconnected. But here's the thing. It's on you. Don't go getting up in my grill about it because I can't make you do these things. We can just create environments. And that's what we're here at Elevate. We're super committed to doing that. That's where we've created Elevate groups. And we've got groups for men and for women and for families and for couples and for 18 to 25s and for high schoolers. And we're going to continue to open up more as more leaders emerge in more locations at more times of the day, days of the week. But if you're not a part of that and you're feeling disconnected, it's on you. It's got to be something that you take a next step and we play the same record there's only so many ways you can put lipstick on the pig before you have to just say it's a pig (laughs) get in an elevate group if you're not part of an elevate group get in an elevate group if you're not part of an elevate team get in an elevate team it's as simple as that it's not just just about using the gifts and using your life for what god intended although it's very much for that it's also there's a relational element and our team leaders are cultivating that consistently i say to our team leaders if all our teams ever do is get together perform some tasks together alone and then go away we've failed we need to be building relationships and we are in our teams But it's not just a question of how many relationships we have, as if the person with the most friends wins. There's a qualitative aspect to this as well. There's a a depth of our relationships that's required. Think about this. Let's say say, uh, in your kitchen, right now, actually, use our kitchen as an example. Stewie, make a note of this. Right now in our kitchen, our kitchen sink doesn't drain properly. Okay, now, I, I, the only p- part of Bunnings, as Scott Downey discovered on Friday, only, I just know the gardening section. I go in, I go out. I don't know anything about any of the tools, what, what they're called, how to use them, which end of the hammer you're supposed to hold. I don't know, I don't know nothing of that. So our, um, our kitchen uh, sink drain's been blocked for quite a few months. 
And um, anyway, let's just suppose that we called a plumber, right? What do you think, Stewie? Good idea? Drains blocked? Phone a plumber? All right. Boy, I'm glad I'm here to listen to this message. Uh, feel my life's about to be transformed. So, um, so let's say, let's suppose I, I phone the plumber, phone Stewie. Stewie, send one of your boys around. Stewie sends one of his boys around. Guy I've never met before. Name's Brian. Brian knocks on the door. He's got his his uh, ardent plumbing gear on. Plug on the podcast there, Stewie. Uh, got his ardent plumbing gear on. Knocks on the door. G'day, I'm Brian. Uh, Stewie sent me around, and one of the boys, uh, Stewie, says that your kitchen uh, sink's blocked. Yep, yep. Yeah, only been blocked for a day or two. Um, come on in, and uh, and so Brian comes in. And he's got his little toolbox or whatever. And, you know, it's about 11 in the morning, 11.30. And Brian gets busy and, 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 gets, uh, and, and gets to fi- and fixes it. And, uh, you know, we, we test it and it drains nicely. Oh, great job. Great job, Brian. Really appreciate that. Thanks for coming around. Make sure, you know, the office, they'll send me the invoice, whatever. And Brian goes, yeah, yeah, no problem. So Brian then puts his toolbox down, washes his hands. You know, he's got the sink there, washes his hands. And then uh, wheels around to, to my fridge. And opens up my fridge, gets out a few bits and pieces, gets out some, some leftover roast chicken and gets out a little bit of, bit of uh, some salad greens and then goes and, 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 uh, and gets something, uh, some dressing from the fridge door and, and then sits down and he, and he makes himself up a nice little chicken salad and he eats his chicken salad and then he says to me, hey, thanks a lot, Mark. Really appreciate it. All the best. Out he goes. I guarantee that I will be standing there getting gravel rash on my chin with what's just happened. And there's a very obvious explanation for that. It's because Brian doesn't have refrigerator rights in my house, right? And that phrase actually comes from a book. It's a very, very important uh, concept. It comes from a book written by two sociologists, Dr. Will Miller and Dr. Glenn Sparks, called Refrigerator Rights. And they actually have studied this out and have drawn some correlation between the number of people in our lives who have refrigerator rights and our physical, relational, and emotional health, that they actually are correlated. And so I want to ask you the question, who in your life has refrigerator rights? And it is what it sounds like, the sort of people that they could come into your home, uh, unannounced or otherwise, and when they're in your home, They could just help themselves to anything they want, whenever they want, without asking, and and your eyebrow wouldn't twitch. You'd be just like, yeah, of course, it's it's Brian, the plumber. He's got refrigerator rights. And uh, it's so important to not allow ourselves to do life and to be a church that's together alone. And the early church got this. Let Let me... Let me read a description. This is written by Luke, a doctor, who was just describing the early church, that they got this. He said, this is is what the early church was known for. They committed themselves to the teaching of the apostles. By the way, not just to the listening. This is to the doing of the teaching of the apostles. To the life together. To the common meal and the prayers. And all of the believers lived in a wonderful harmony with refrigerator rights. They sold whatever they owned and pooled their resources so that each person's need was met. They followed a daily discipline of worship in the temple. I love this. 
followed by meals at home. Every meal of celebration, exuberant and joyful as they praised God. These were people who understood that to be the church wasn't and isn't and has never been God's intention for us to be together alone. And I'm starting to see this and I'm, and I'm thrilled. I'm starting to see this. I'm hearing stories of, uh, of Baden and the boys at, uh, at our men's elevate group and some of the great things that are happening there. I remember uh, even just about 18 months ago, 18 months ago, one of the Elevate groups, or called Life groups then, that Louis and I were leading, we were leading for 25 to 35-year-olds. And uh, one of the couples there was Andy and Liz Marsh. And uh, Andy and Liz have got, like, I don't know, 40 or 50 kids. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, all young, like ankle-biter kind of kids. And, um, and it means that Andy and Liz don't get to sort of just go out without the kids as often as, as maybe they did in their dating uh, time. And uh, they came and connected into, into our group. Andy and Liz was just fantastic. And uh, we, we met in our home on a Wednesday evening every couple of weeks. And uh, there was one particular night, and this story comes through to us, one particular night that um, uh, Andy and Liz, they would, they would get a babysitter. One of their friends would come and stay with their kids while they came to our place, and this particular evening, the the, the, all, the arrangements fell through. I, I, I don't know the particulars, and um, and Nicole Espenlaub, who's got forty or fifty kids of her own, by the way, um, heard this, and at seven o'clock, handballed her kids. I'm guessing to you, Sean, handballed her kids, and and said to Liz on the phone, "I'm I'm coming over. I'll babysit your kids because I want to make sure you and Andy get to go and be part of that, uh, what we would now call an elevate group." I love that. I love that because, because it actually shows me that Nicole understood and understands just how powerful and how vital it is that we don't do and be a church that does life together alone, but that we do life together. Um, you remember that, Liz? Yeah, awesome stuff. Not convenient for anybody, but if we only live life based on what's convenient, we'll never get out of the shallow end of the pool. I love uh, a new girl that's connected in about three, four weeks ago. And when she first came here, she actually made a decision to make Jesus her Lord. And she's been back every week and uh, really feels God really speaking to her and, 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 and stretching her and challenging her. And, and she's making some shifts and making some adjustments and changing some stuff up in her life based on what she you know, feels God speaking to her about. And last Sunday, I finished preaching. And I went down just standing at the front there and she came up and she says, look, Mark, I need more than this. I mean, I'm here every Sunday and, I, and this one hour, it's the, it's the highlight of my week. It's the best thing. I'm, God's speaking to me. I'm getting so encouraged. She started telling me about some of the decisions she's making and the shifts she's making and the things that she's changing up based on what God's challenging her to do. She said, but, but, but I, I, I just, I, I need some, I need more. I need, I need, I need more, and I need, and I need some people around me to, to really help continue to encourage me and, and challenge me. And you know, h- how can we do that? And I'm like, bing, you know, it doesn't. It, it, it was a no-brainer. Like, so I say, sweetheart, come and let me in- introduce you to Carlene. And Carlene uh, leads an Elevate group for chicks, and uh, and uh, happens to be in a similar age to this girl. And I just introduced them, and bam, the fireworks just went off. And, and they've started that connection and that journey. But that happens because Kyleen put her hand up and said, God, I want to be used by you to lead an Elevate group because I don't ever want to be a part of a church that settles for doing life together alone. 
And it's fantastic. And I'm looking forward to seeing that other girl's life unfold. And I'm looking forward to seeing Carleen continue to be stretched and encouraged. Now, I'm going to say this. This is my final word on this subject today. I want to speak to the introverts. I'd ask you to put your hand up, but you don't like to be singled out. So (laughs) keep it down. I want to speak to the introverts. Now, I'm a raging introvert. I am... I am, if, if, if introversion is at this end of the spectrum and extroversion is at, the end, is at this end of the spectrum, left to myself, I live and am wired very, 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 very close to the extreme end of the introversion side. Now, if you only ever see me up here on a Sunday, that would make no sense to you. You might actually think I'm a raging extrovert. I leave here on a Sunday. I have to go home to my cave and put myself on the recharger. I am emotionally spent because people drain my batteries. That's the thing with introversion and extroversion, by the way. If you don't already understand that, introversion is not about who's shy and who's, who's not shy. It's about what charges your batteries. Extroverts typically have their batteries charged around people. And extroverts, introverts typically have their batteries charged away from people. That's a, a very broad generalization. But I, I charge my batteries in the cave on my own. Okay? And so I'm speaking, I want to speak to, the, to my fellow introverts for just a moment. What I've been talking about for the last 30 minutes, for some of you, this might terrify you. This whole idea might terrify you that we are not meant to do life together alone. This, this won't come naturally to you, and I understand that. It doesn't come naturally to me. Being here on a Sunday doesn't come naturally to me. Preaching on a, on a Sunday doesn't come naturally to me. I'd be just as happy to get, sit at home, read my books about God and people. <laughs> Become an expert on the subjects, but never have to meet any of them. And, uh, and I say that, to say, introverts, you don't like small talk. This is, I speak in general terms, but I'll tell you I relate to, to, to how I'm going to kind of unpack this. You have no time for small talk. Me, small talk, ugh, can't stand it. Put me on a table at a wedding with a bunch of strangers, rather hang myself. Because, you know, it's two hours of small talk. You know, where's a gun? Uh, my side, shoot myself, just so you know. Um, you don't like small talk. Uh, you, you, you don't like to open yourself up. Typically, introverts don't like to open themselves up to strangers readily. You like to just let people tr- prove that they're trustworthy before you open up to them. You don't like to have a large circle of friends, typically. Again, I'm talking in general terms, and I'm talking to someone who understands all of this. Two, three, four, five, that's plenty. It's enough plates for you to keep spinning, and the rest, not my problem. Um, and by the way, I'm married to a raging extrovert. So, uh, you know, we're the people that they coined the phrase opposites attract from. One thing I've discovered years ago, <clears throat> when I made the decision that I wanted to, to, to die empty, I wanted to die having left everything on the table, to have presented my life on the table and to say, God, I've, I've given it everything. I hope you've used me in every way that you wanted to. I want to die empty. I want to go and not have to make any excuses. Um, when I made that decision, I knew 
one of the biggest shifts that I needed to make was to actually consistently step out of my introverted comfort zone. Not that I couldn't go back there. I go back there. In fact, I go back there quite regularly to recharge, but that I have to actually take some risks. I would have to actually step out of my comfort zone consistently. And so I just started to do that. And it didn't come naturally. I've had to endure some small talk. I've had to meet strangers and occasionally talk with them. I've had to trust people that I didn't know deeply in the early stages of the relationships. But the rewards that have come from that are indescribable. I would never personally have experienced the depth of relationships, the, 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 the depth of, of friendships, would never have had people that could walk me through a valley and amplify my celebrations on the mountaintop if I just stayed parked 24-7, 365 in my little introverted bubble. Now, as I said, I go back there. I'll be there this afternoon. Don't phone me. My phone will be off. I'll be on the charger and my phone will be off. You, know, you, you, you can still be allowed to, to manage your introversion and, 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 and you should. Um, but, but I would encourage you to consider becoming what Martin Luther King Jr. called an ambivert. That whilst your natural predisposition, your natural predilection might be to be that of an introvert, that a supernatural commitment you and God would see you come out of your introverted place. And, 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 and actually, here's, here's the even better thing about all of that. You've got a lot to add. You've got a lot to bring to the party. I know you don't like parties. You've got a lot to bring to the party. Silent rivers run deep is the, is the old saying. Introverts, we're actually slowly taking over the world. And no one knows it because we haven't bothered telling them. Introverts typically are very, very smart because they think before they speak. They consider different positions. They, because they're not talking, they take time to listen. You've got a lot to bring to the table, you extroverts. You've got a lot to bring to the table. I want to encourage you to bring it to the table. Put it on the table and die empty. Die with a sense of God, I gave it everything. I, I put you and other people first. You will be fulfilled, you will be rewarded, and other people will be too. I just wanted to say that because this is a sort of message that the introverts will want to take a hall pass from. And the extroverts, you're already convinced. You thought I just wasted 30 minutes of your time. Hey, one more thing we want to do. Well, actually, there's two things we want to do. If you're not part, this wasn't a 30-minute sales pitch, by the way. This is a perspective from God's word that we are blessed with community. If you're not yet part of an Elevate team and or an Elevate group, get this next step card. Fill it out. Tick one or both of those boxes today. Give it to the team at our front desk. And step beyond doing and being a church that does life together alone. Last thing, is that rain? 
<laughs> I cycle regularly. I'm so over the rain. Anyway, I planted some tomatoes on Friday, so maybe I'm excited. One thing we want to do just as we finish, some of you have never actually made... I, I talked to, uh, just before when I was referring to Kylene and her Elevate group about a girl who recently made a decision to make Jesus her Lord. Some of you maybe today need to make that decision for yourself. You need to actually step that, take that next step to say, Jesus, I actually want to follow you. I want to make you my Lord. We want to give you an opportunity to do that right now just before we finish. So if you've never made that decision and you know today that's, that's the next step for you, then in a moment I want you to put your hand up. By putting your hand up, you're just saying, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to put you in control of my life. And when you're done, when I've seen your hand, you can put it down. We, and, and we're going we're gonna to finish. So just quickly before we finish, this is actually the most important thing we do, and I, I dare not rush over it. I want to just right now give you that opportunity. For those of you that have never made Jesus your Lord, never made the decision to follow him, to put him in the driver's seat, just make that decision now. Put your hand up and you say, yeah, that's me this morning. When I see your hand, you can put it down. I don't, don't want to miss anybody this morning. Let's pray. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray because I want us to continually be used by God to see people who don't know him connect to him. I don't ever want us to be a church that just does laps. God, we commit not only to do life together as your church, we want to make sure we commit and we want to commit and we, we do commit ourselves to doing life outside of these four walls with people who don't yet know you to engage invest invite to use us lord use us to build that bridge use us to connect with people that need to ultimately connect with you that we don't take this message of being the church and doing life together to such an extent that we only do life together we stay connected with unchurched people and we actually look for to engage with unchurched people, to engage, to invest, and ultimately to invite. In Jesus' name, amen. Very good. Okay, this morning, the coffee is... Are you coughing, Sean, because you're coughing? Or is that one of those trying to get my attention coughs? Just to cough? You're excused. Um, it was a German guttural... <laughs> Uh, the coffee this morning is Peruvian Grace, which is a lovely name for a coffee. And uh, I'm told, actually I can confirm, it's smooth with caramel undertones. Yeah, oh my gosh. Anyway, hey, you guys getting married next week? I'll see you because I'm doing the ceremony. I won't see you because you've got some planning schedule clash. But anyway, it's going to be a great day. So I look forward to seeing you guys when you're back with only two surnames. The rest of you, talk to people.